You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's take a moment and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven by men by which people can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. When the angel looked at Mary and said, You shall call him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God, you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself. Everything that we've done in this praise and this worship has been in our attempt to lift you up and to give you all the honor and glory, dear Lord, that we possibly can give. And even then, dear Lord, we find ourselves, dear Lord, longing for a resurrected body so that we can do it even with greater power, greater passion, greater intensity. We pray, dear Lord, that you would speak to us now through your word. We pray, dear Lord, that our lives would never be the same. We ask you, dear Lord, I ask you to cleanse me, to forgive me of anything in my life, any thought, any deed, any idle word, anything put before me. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, let me be a vessel that you can use. And we give you the glory. You alone again are worthy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. We're going through a series called Beginnings. And that really is literally how you would translate that word Genesis. Beginnings. Zig Ziglar said that he had an arrangement with Delta Airlines. And Zig Ziglar said this. He said, I have an arrangement with Delta Airlines. And it is this. If I don't get there in time, they can go ahead and leave without me. (laughs) Have you ever missed a plane? You know, we were talking this week about situations. There was a family, a man down in Florida... He got caught in a traffic jam. He was not able to make a plane. And the the result was that plane went down with no survivors. Uh, I read of a story of a man who was uh, trying to get a refund out of a vending machine in an airport. And he got mad. He was frustrated. He had lost his money in a vending machine. He went to the people there at the airport. They were trying to get the machine to, to work. And then finally they reluctantly gave him his money back. He ran down to the gate and he had missed his flight. A few minutes later, that flight uh, ended in disaster and every, every person on that plane was killed. Have you ever missed a, 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 a trip, a, a flight or something, and you thought to yourself, man, this is about the worst thing that could ever happen? Well, I want to talk to you today about a whole mass of humanity that missed a flight In Genesis chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, and let's stand in honor of God's word. Genesis chapter 7, beginning beginning at verse 1. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, and you and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation, take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain or rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. 
And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now underline that. Dog ear that page. That's critical. Verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the seventh day of the sixth month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and fell, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that day, on that very day, Noah and his son Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, everything with wings, pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in with him were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Let's pray again. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to energize and enliven your word and open up the heart so people may hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, we looked at Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and we talked about this thing of the Nephilim, the idea of the sons of God, whether that is the lineage of Seth intermarrying with Cain or whether that was fallen angels intermarrying with humanity. We, we looked at that. We, we said that undoubtedly one thing is clear. The messianic line had been compromised. Then we, uh, and then we, we looked at and we kind of touched on it. Luke, I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 6, 8 through 22, where Noah is commissioned to build a vessel and he builds a vessel. Now listen to this, that is 450 feet long. It is 75 feet wide, and it is 45 feet tall. And, and he does it exactly the way God instructs him to do it. Now, I wrote down a principle here, and I want you to write these down and remember them. Principle number one, and we said this last week, God's punishment is, listen, God's punishment is God's rescue. You see, God would punish the world while at the same time rescuing Noah. God would punish Sodom and Gomorrah while at the same time rescuing Lot. God would punish, now stay with me here, he would punish sin on the hill of Golgotha. He would punish Christ for your sin, for my sin. Listen, his punishment would be our rescue. Does that make sense? So principle number one, God's punishment is God's rescue. Principle number two, now stay with me, this is critical. Noah's obedience is critical. 6.22, it says this. Look at that. Genesis 6.22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Uh, chapter 5, verse 5. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Principle number two is simply this. Obedience, listen, obedience is not a choice. It is a command. We're living in a day sometimes where people see that as some kind of choice that they make. But it's a command. 
And let me make a let me make a little side statement here. I want you to look this way. Sometimes prayer can be and listen to me. If you don't listen now, you're going to mess up and you're going to go out there and quote me on Facebook as being blasphemous. Sometimes prayer is an act of disobedience. Now stay with me here. Sometimes you and I know exactly what God's called us to do. We know exactly what God's will is, but then we want to put God off by saying to God, as we say to other people, first I want to pray about it. My friend, you and I don't need to pray about some things. They're clear in the scripture. We don't need to pray about obedience, about a command of God. And sometimes we don't need to pray when God has made very clear His will. Sometimes prayer can be an act of obedience. Disobedience is kind of putting God off. You remember in Gethsemane when Jesus prayed? There came that moment when He finished praying and He said, not my will, but thy will be done. He understood, knew exactly what the will of God was. What did He do? You remember? There's a scene there, even in the Passion of Christ, but we see it in Scripture where the Bible says Jesus got up and he went about the will of God. He knew what God's will is. He didn't need to pray anymore. It was abundantly clear. Now, you and I need to pray, nail down God's will, be assured of God's will, and hey, if we're going to pray now, we're going to pray that God will give us the strength and the courage to carry out God's will. So principle number two, Noah's obedience is critical. Obedience is not a choice. It is a command. Principle number three, God did not need Noah's suggestions. He needed his obedience. Have you ever ever think about that? Sometimes we want to help God, don't we? We want to help God. We want to give God advice. We want to give God our input or our slant on things to kind of help God along and give him some suggestions as if God needs them. Can you imagine Noah saying, God, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, and God, we only have one door? Hey, God, now listen, I'm not the smartest man on the planet, but it would seem to me that logistically it would be a lot better to put a door on both sides of the ark so that the animals can come in from two different... God, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of responsibility. God, can you imagine, God, the stress and the strain of trying to get all of these animals, all of these flocks, all of these people, all of this in through one door? God, please help me out here. Let's build a second door. You ever want to help God? God always has a reason for the way He carries out His will. Right? God's not shooting off the hip. This is not off the cuff. God's not making it up as he goes. God has a will and a purpose. Why did he want one door? Because thousands of years later, when he wraps himself in the flesh of man, you remember what I told you? Them Africans, they would say, God put on the flesh of man. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. When God invaded his creation... Do you know what God would say? He would make statements like this. Jesus made these kinds of statements. I am the what? Door. No one can come in any other way. I'm the only door. So God has, the, God has a reason as to why he's doing the things that he's doing. Now today we're going to focus on verse 16 of chapter, Genesis chapter 7. Let's look at it again. In Genesis chapter 7 verse 16... 
The last part of that, the animals going in were male and female, every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then what? Then the Lord, what did he do? He shut him in. Now, that's a picture, that single door and that single act of God shutting that door is a picture, now look this way, of eternal security and eternal damnation. Now, we don't like that word damnation. That's a strong word. You ever notice some of our profanity is hell, is damned, GD this, GD that? But this picture here is the picture of eternal security and eternal damnation. Now, number one, this is a two-point sermon. Be real easy. Number one, let's say it together, the open door. Let's say that together, the open door. In other words, for a long time, this door, this ark, as it was being constructed, had an open passageway. It had an open door. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, look at that again. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, the Bible says, God said, I will not always strive. And he uses a Hebrew word there, dean. It sounds like the word dean. It means to contend. It means to wrestle. It means to strive. I'm not always going to strive and contend and wrestle with man. In other words, what God was saying is simply this. There's a limit, there is a limit when God, when a man can cross that line. Now let me, let me, let me make this statement. 120 years, is that right? When you say about 120 years, is that right? Noah was pounding nails, moving timber, and busy about the construction of the ark, right? Can you imagine that? 120 years, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they were all busy gathering up timber, moving timber, the endless progression of the ark as it was being gone up. I was studying this the other day, and I thought to myself, it was early in the morning. got here about 6 o'clock in the morning, 6.30. And uh, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to go out there and walk this thing off. So I got way over here by the house the church has over here, and in front of those buses, and I began to figure out a pace of about three feet, and I thought, well, I've got to make about 150 paces. And I began to walk till I finally got over to our homeless men and uh, uh, men that live over here, T and, and Slim and some of those men, and immediately they thought, well, what's the preacher doing marching across the parking lot toward our tent? And Slim came out there to meet me. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm marking off the ark. And I know he would, he, well, you know Slim. He probably thought, oh, goodness, the preacher's getting ready to build an ark in front of the church. But imagine that. Now, when I begin to study this and look at it, the shape of the ark, now listen to me, stay with me here, is the shape of a coffin. The material, gopher wood, was cypress, and in Noah's day, that's what they made coffins out of. So in essence, the reason the people thought it was probably so ludicrous, it wasn't just simply this vessel. It didn't, listen, it wasn't, it wasn't navigational. It wasn't built to navigate, to move through water, to be maneuvered or, or, or anything like that. It was just simply a rectangular looking box made out of the same material they made their coffins. Let me ask you something. Imagine if we decided to build a coffin out in front of this church, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. What do you think this community, this state, this nation, this world, what do you think WLBT, Burt Case, where he's gone now, what do you think all these people would think? 
Now I'm talking about if we built the material out of the same material and the, and the, and the vessel out there looked like an, a coffin, what would these people think? You see, Noah, early in the morning, all through the day, week after week, month after month, year after year, the steady building, the pounding of nails, and he was building this box-shaped, coffin-shaped, gopher wood, cypress wood thing that didn't even look really like a boat. And all the while Noah was preaching. You remember what I told you? Adam had been dead only 126 years. 243 years, Methuselah, the grandfather of, of Noah, had fellowshiped 243 years with the first man to walk the earth, Adam. Methuselah, Mashushalak in the Hebrew, means when he dies, it will come. And so here's Noah building this ark, and all the while, every day, he would see grandfather, Mashushalek, Methuselah, who had fellowship for 243 years with Adam, who had also come from the lineage of Enoch, his, his grandfather. So, you know, here's a rich history here. But here's Noah building. And here's Methuselah walking down, Mashushalek. When he dies... It will come. You know, I wrote this down. I said, Methuselah's life, the grandfather of Noah, was like an hourglass of God's judgment. It was the limit of God's grace. Every time Methuselah, Meshushalak, breathed, every time he would breathe, take a breath, it was an opportunity to be saved, being lost. In other words, God's divine timetable, Shema Israel. It wasn't just a matter of hero Israel. It was a matter, listen, of an entire world. Noah was preaching while grandfather was walking around. Mashushalak, his name, God's divine timetable, held in a body. And you say, well, that's strange. God's divine timetable was held in the body of Mashushalak. When he died, judgment came. That's what his name meant. But hey, listen to this. Do you know God's divine table, divine timetable is held in you and I? Did you realize that? In essence, the body of Christ, the believers, the fellowship, the ecclesia, the church. Because listen to this, when we are raptured, it will come. You know, God's, God's processes and his methodology in the Old Testament are shadows, as the writer of Hebrews says, of what is in the New Testament. But the door is open. Number one, the door is open. His grace is available. But then God says, I won't always strive with a man. The door's not always open. So we come to the second point, and that is simply the open door becomes the closed door. Look again at 7, 16, chapter, Genesis chapter 7, verse 16. The animals going in were male and female, but every living thing, as God had commanded Noah, then the who shut the door? I wrote this down. I believe that the sound of God shutting the door reverberated through time and into eternity. I believe that it rattled the corridors of hell and no doubt even shook heaven. Because at this time, Mashushalek, Methuselah, when he dies it will come, took his last breath 
and judgment began. I went on to write this down. The ark, when Methuselah took his last breath, I believe the ark shook violently, lifted up as the earth erupted in water, and that canvas of H2O that we studied in Genesis chapter 1. You remember in Genesis chapter 1, we talked about where God separated the water? And we talked about the miracle of that. Let me read something to you again in case you forgot it. The amount, we're talking about the clouds and the water above us. Okay? We're talking about the, the water above us. Let me, let me remind you of the water above your head when you walk outside. One writer said, The amount of vapor continually suspended in the air above us is estimated at 54 trillion. 460 million tons. Water is 773 times heavier than air. The average precipitation in the form of rain and snow that falls upon the earth is equivalent to 186,000 cubic miles. That is enough to cover the entire earth three feet deep. Why are we not drowned, the writer said. The supply of water above the earth is maintained by evaporation. The constant lifting of water from the earth into the atmosphere by the power of the sun. And in essence, when Mashushalak, when Methuselah took his last breath, God shut them in and immediately that canvas of clouds that had been suspended over the head began to collapse on the earth. And the opportunity to be saved was lost. Billy Graham often quotes Proverbs 29.1. A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. You remember Jesus when he talked about the rich man? He said that rich farmer, he was sitting there thinking, man, I got a bumper crop this year. I've got a problem. My barns are still full from last year. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build more barns so that I can put this next year's crop in it. And, and he was sitting there. And you know what Jesus said? Thou fool, even tonight thy soul will be required of thee. And what can you give in exchange for your soul? Belshazzar was throwing a party there in Babylon, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar throwing a party, having a big shindig, when all of a sudden the hand of God appeared. And it wrote, a, it wrote something. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Daniel came, Belshazzar said, can you interpret this? Daniel said, yes, I can. And Daniel said to, Neb to Belshazzar, he said, Belshazzar, he said, you've been weighed in the balance, you've been found wanting, and your kingdom will end tonight. I remember when I worked on my doctorate, R.C. Sproul had us read that passage. And on this night, Belshazzar was slain. He was murdered by the Medes and the Persians. Daniel told Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, as he celebrated with the vessels that had been stolen out of the temple in Jerusalem. He said, King, you've made this a drunken revelry, a debauchery, and King, your end is about to come. Your kingdom is about to end. And on that night, it ended. Opportunity was lost, never to be gotten back. Some of you may be here today, and that's where you are. I've been listening to J.J. Jasper. He is someone affiliated, a, a, a radio host of American Family Radio. J.J. Jasper, five years ago, he has three girls and a little boy. 
his little boy, they were riding one day on their farm. And while they were riding on this little dune buggy-like vessel or vehicle, as they were riding, J.J. Jasper turned, that little beautiful blonde-headed boy, the, the, the thing just, it just turned over. And when it turned over and he got up to reach to get his son, his son was dead, instantly dead. J.J. Jasper said this. He's come out with a book and I'd suggest you get it. J.J. Jasper said this. He said the guilt was almost unbearable. He said, it was my idea to buy the farm. It was my idea to buy the dune buggy. And I was driving the dune buggy. And he said, I'll never forget when I called my wife. He said, I said said these words. Everything that we've ever believed and everything that you've ever heard, please listen to me. Hang on to it now. Cooper is gone. And J.J. said, I would have given anything to turn back the clock. Joey Bennett, one of our dear friends, Joey's son Josh, drowned over here in the reservoir. You've heard me tell that story. He was the president of the student body at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Joey was loading up the stuff in his car. His wife was saying goodbye to her parents who lived on a houseboat. Neither one of them realized that beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old little blonde-headed, blue-eyed little, beautiful little boy named, named Josh had taken that Fisher-Price little make-believe fishing pole so he wanted to be like his daddy and he was leaning across there trying to fish and fell into the water and all of a sudden Joey said he heard the scream of his wife he ran and there was his son laying there floating in that water he pulled him out they did CPR eventually Josh died I would look at Joey many times when I would be there I was a paramedic had been and been an EMT and done that a long time. I would sit there with Joey suctioning out that airway doing this and I would listen to this dad make this statement, if only I could go back, but I can't. A man spent his life in an insane asylum and a preacher asked one day, say, tell me his story. And his story was this. He with his family of six He, his wife, and his four kids were on their way and he turned in front of a train trying to beat the train and he killed his wife and all four of his kids and he lived and he died going crazy thinking if only I could go back. You know what the worst part of hell is? The worst part of hell is this. It is the opportunity that is lost. Those multitudes of people who will say, I can't go back. In Luke 13, 24 and 25, Jesus said, Agonisamai, ice ericomai. You know what he was saying? He was saying, strive to enter into the gate while the door is open. Because he said one day the owner of the house will close the door and that opportunity will be lost. Let me give you a principle. Principle number four, and we'll close in a minute. What God closes, no man can open. Now I want you to listen to me. Look this way. Look this way, listen. What God closes, no man can open. Once God closed the ark, that opportunity was gone. You know, a lot of times, and I, and I said this to one of my kids, I think, here just recently. I said, the danger is, is that a lot of... I don't know that... Now, you're, you're going to misquote me here again on social media, but listen anyway. I don't know that I'd have a children's Bible book, a children's Bible story book in my home. 
I don't know that if I were a parent, I would just go with the Word of God. And if I had a children's Bible storybook, I would make triple sure that it was in line with the Scripture. Let me give you an example. How many of us remember that Bible storybook? Your parents would open up and you'd look, and they'd be this stoic figure, staff in hand, old gray-haired grandpa-looking guy, and the, and the animals would be fouling in, and he'd just be standing there kind of glassy-eyed looking off in a distance. Right? And, and you see, to a child, a lot of times they don't, they don't understand that... that they don't understand that the ark was a violent scene. It was, it was real and it was raw. It was heaven and hell contending for the souls of men. And Noah somehow called in the middle of it. A prophetic voice warning of judgment, pleading for repentance. We have some kind of stoic figure standing there, aloof, apathetic, indifferent, watching as the animals are coming in. That's the reason people responded so vehemently when the movie Noah came out because it made him look like he was a madman. And we didn't like that. But to a lost and dying world, he probably did look mad. There have been times I've stood down on this street corner and preached. Cross propped up to the side. People... 8 o'clock, 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock traffic, school time. Me standing there preaching on a street corner. God loves you. He cares about you. And my voice ringing down there on that street corner, far greater than it's doing here. Because see, God just seems to echo it. I told you one time, there was a homeless woman. She started coming up. She was about half drunk. When she heard the word of God being preached, she turned and ran as hard as she could the other way. I'm sure I look like a madman, and I'm sure sometimes you do. But that's the church. That's the way we look to a lost world. God closed the door. Why? Because Noah was a man of mercy. He couldn't do it. He wouldn't be able to do it. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine that scene as... As, that, as, that, as God shut that door, Methuselah, Meshushalak, Noah's wife came running and said, Noah, Noah, he's dead. And when he dies, it will come. And all of a sudden, the ground began to shake. The skies begin to raise just like they did in that turbulent scene at Golgotha when God shut the heavens out and said, you won't look at my son hanging naked before a lost world. But all of a sudden it was time. Noah gathered up his family. He went up into that ark and immediately there was the mighty hand of God. Shoop! That door shut. First there was laughter. <laughs> hey! There's laughter. But then that canvas, that miracle that suspends above man, all of a sudden, begin to collapse. The earth began to shake and erupt from beneath. And in that moment, the ground began to break apart. Water began to raise. And all of a sudden, there were men, women, children. No! 
We believe. Let us in. Noah! Noah! It's too late. Noah probably said, you may not agree with the theology of it. Noah probably said, Shem, Ham, Japheth, get here! Oh God! No God! What was eternal grace and mercy given to the redeemed is now the hand of judgment and eternal damnation. For some of you in this room, the truth is there's a narrow window of opportunity and if you're not careful, it will close. Jesus said in John 10, 28, He said, I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. No one are you a no one. Let me tell you something. What Noah and his wife and his family had was eternal security. Listen to me. They couldn't open the door and that was a picture of being eternally secured in the hand of God. You and I, when we receive Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Paul said it repeatedly in Ephesians, in Christ, in Him, we are secure. Some people say, well, wait a minute. Listen to this statement. God is too good to send someone to hell. God is too good not to. God doesn't send anyone to hell. They send themselves. Go to hell. What the hell? Give them hell. Preacher, I may go to hell, but I'll take uh, some friends with me and we'll have a good time when we get there. The rich man in Luke 16, he didn't want any company in hell. You say, well, wait a minute. God, God's too good to send someone to hell. My friend, God will never allow you to wipe your dirty, filthy, sin-filled feet on through the tread through the blood of Jesus Christ, trample His blood under His feet, and treat Him as if He's nothing. If you make that decision, God has done everything He possibly can to bring you to salvation, and you have said no. Jesus said, strive to enter into the door because there'll come a day when you can't. You say, well, I don't, I don't know that I believe that. I've been with people who've died. I've tried to talk to some of them about salvation. You know what they say? Say, it's too late for me, preacher. I don't feel anything. There's nothing. You're wasting your time. Well, I'm leaving Monday. I'm leaving in the morning. And I'm going to um, be obedient to what God has called me to do. I've been to 37 states. Two years ago, I left. I went through Alabama, 
When I got to Montgomery, Alabama, and I got out, I looked at the Capitol, I began to cry. I, I'm just doing what God told me to do. This is what God told me to do. He said, son, I want you to go to every state capitol. I want you to walk seven times around that capitol, and I want you to pray, and I want you to think about this verse. Listen to this verse. Second, I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Listen to this, and then we'll pray. I urge you then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Now let's just go ahead and stand up, because I want you to hear this. Listen to it closely. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He's not far away from death. I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Now listen to what Paul says. For kings and all those in authority. Now listen to this. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases our God. Now I want you to listen to me closely. God is not pleased at all with America. Because God's people are no longer able to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And we've become a stench to much of the world today because of the way we live our lives. And so God says to me, what I feel in my heart, I want you to pray. Just go. I've gone to 37 states. I'll leave in the morning, and I'll be on the road probably. If I go to Alaska, Juneau, Alaska, I'll probably be on the road for about 11,000 miles. I'll move from one capital to the next. I won't take pictures. I'm not a sightseer. I'm not there. I go to the Capitol. I walk around that building seven times. I pray. I've had people. I've had government officials. When I was in, when I was in Atlanta, security, a big old African-American came out there who's questioning. Some of them were questioning me. You know, when you start walking around a Capitol building seven times with a Bible and you're my age, they start looking at you kind of funny. But by the seventh time, he stood out there at the capital of Atlanta, there, a capital of Georgia, in Atlanta, and he said, and he did his arms up like that, and he said, Amen, victory, seven times. Preacher, thank you. I went to Richmond, and they harassed me all the way around that thing, a cop on a bicycle. I've been in restaurants where a woman began to cry uncontrollably in a restaurant and said, Thank you for coming. I said, well, I've come a long ways to talk to you. I was in a hotel one time at business right there in the middle of the morning. The girl behind the desk, a beautiful girl, just a breathtakingly beautiful African-American young lady. I said to her, I said, I'm getting ready to march around your capital. I said, how can you pray for, how can I pray for you? She, in front of the customers, in front of those people checking out on that morning, nice up, nice hotel. She looked at me, began to cry, and she said, I am so anxious. I'm just filled with anxiety. I can hardly function. These people standing at that desk were looking, looking at her. I said, I'm going to pray for you. I walked around and prayed for her. When I walked back into that hotel, she said, What peace I feel. In Baton Rouge, somebody came out of the government building, a businessman getting ready to leave. As far as I knew, I think he was one of the legislatures. He came to me, he said, son, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. He stopped, he said, could I, could I talk to you for a moment? He said, my son, he's getting ready to go to jail. 
and he began to weep. Businessman sued on briefcase. He said, would you pray for my son right there in front of the state capitol? I put my arm around him and began to pray for him. In Tallahassee, it was right before the hurricane. I walked with a white poncho on, holding my Bible, walking around that capital with wind and waves, I mean wind and, and rain just blowing against me. People looking out the windows. You say, well, that's crazy. What good is that going to do? You look like a madman. Well... So did he. So did Noah. So did Abraham when he carried Isaac up on top of Mount Moriah. So did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they wouldn't come out of the fiery furnace until Nebuchadnezzar asked them to come out. So did some of the prophets like Ezekiel who spent 180 days laying on one side just so people would come by and say, look at Ezekiel, he looks like a madman. He's cooking his food on cow dung. Has he gone crazy? No, he's a picture of captivity of what's coming to the nation of Israel. Oh, I may look like a madman, but I'm in really good company. So did Peter that day he was out there fishing and somebody said, Peter, I hadn't seen you out here in a long time. Well, Jesus told me to come down. He said that when I caught this fish, it would have the money to pay my taxes and his. <laughs> Boy, did that look crazy. So did Jesus when he said, I and the Father are one. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Look like a madman? Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for so did they the prophets who were before you. Look like a madman? Look like a mad woman? Look crazy? Hey, that's all right. God's people always do look crazy until one day God intervenes. Their lives become such a broken down mess that they come to you because you haven't compromised, you haven't given in, you've held up the standard, you've believed what is right is right, and you've hold to that, and you hold to the authority of Scripture. And there comes that day that they look at you and they say, There's something different about you. Would you talk with me when you get a chance? It's Primo's Northgate sitting in there, an African American waiter coming by, seeing the Bible open. Oh, I look like an idiot to all the business people coming in there. I'm the only one with a Bible open at rush time, noon time, lunch time. Until the African-American waiter comes by, tears begin to well up in his eyes, and he said, uh, he said, I see you're reading your Bible. Could I come back by and talk to you? I said, yeah, man, feel free. Come on back by. He said, my wife left me. He didn't say my wife left me. He said, my woman left me. I said, are you married? Were you married? He said, no. Tears, business, crowd, noontime. Tears welling up in his eyes, trickling down his cheeks. I said, you know, God will never bless disobedience. I said, why don't you repent before the Lord? We're talking about this. People are listening. People are listening in on the conversation. Last week, I walked back into that restaurant. He all but hugs my neck. He said, I did what you told me to do. And listen to this. I said, well, did your woman come back? He said, no, but I sure feel a lot better. 
You look like an idiot. You look like a madman. Look like a mad woman crazy. Well, you just join the rest of us. Because Jesus looked pretty mad and crazy too. But he changed the course of history. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. We thank you that you care about us. And Lord, I know that I've gone long, but Lord, I'm getting ready to be gone for a long time, for a good while. And Lord, I pray, dear Lord, for the people in this church that they understand that the door of opportunity is open and it may not be open forever. He that hardens his heart, stiffens his neck, is suddenly cut off and that without remedy. There's no hope. Jesus is the answer to every ill, every problem we face. Jesus is the answer to the world's problems. But there is no other answer. There is no plan B. There's no other alternative. It's Jesus or nothing. And I pray, dear Lord, that every person in this room would know Jesus. And I pray, dear Lord, for those that may be growing weary and well-doing, they just feel like giving up, they're tired, they're beat down. I pray that they would not grow weary and well-doing, for we'll reap if we think not. I pray, dear Lord, when the ridicule and the slander and when they feel like a madman, when they carry their Bible in a classroom, in a school setting, when a man walks into a break room or a woman at wherever she may work, when they pull their Bible out or when they bow their head to pray or when they speak to an employee or somebody about Christ and they get in trouble for that, when they do whatever you've called them to do and the world says they're crazy, may they in that moment smile and say, I'm in good company. So God, I pray that you'd speak the hearts of every person in this room. I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you, that they would come to know you. I pray if there's people that need to come to the altar and do business with you, that they will do that. I pray, dear Lord, for those that need to come and just simply say, Lord, here I am. My pastor's been asked by you, dear Lord, just to go from state to state and pray over state capitals and pray for government. God, maybe mine is to go and pray over our own government over our own governor, over our own state. Maybe it's to pray and to walk around a school and pray over that school. Maybe it's to go, dear Lord, whoever it may be, whatever it may be to be, to do or to be, dear Lord, I pray that we'll be obedient. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.